Good morning, good afternoon. How you doing out there today? This is David Robert for the Marketplace of Ideas podcast. I hope you're having a wonderful day out, to, out there. To, day, wow, day out there today. Today is May the 18th, 2022. It is a balmy yet rainy, drizzly day out here in Alberta where I'm at, but hopefully where you are, you're having a great day. If I seem out of breath, I'm just on the bike again as per usual while doing these episodes. I'm finding it's it's a lot kind of nicer to, you know, you're not just sitting at a desk while you're talking, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I do love having, you know, a good sit-down conversation, but, you know, getting on the bike or um, if I can get fit like a elliptical or some sort of treadmill down here or something, uh, that'd be kind of cool too, but, you know, just two birds with one stone. So if you hear me kind of huffing and puffing, uh, you'll know that that's the reason why. Uh, So today's episode, we're going to be talking about artist compensation when it comes to creations that they've created, be it a Rob Liefeld, a Steve Ditko, a Jack Kirby, or a Stan Lee. And in light of what's been the mega deal that's been struck with Marvel and Stan Lee's estate. And so uh, just before we get into that, just want you to know that you can find the Marketplace of Ideas podcast wherever you get your podcast, from Stitcher to Podbean to Google Play. We are there. We are ready to roll. Uh, you know, join the train, the, uh, the Marketplace of Ideas podcast train. Get on board. We got a lot, of, a lot of great stuff coming and a lot of good content out there on all the platforms. So as we dive into this, I just wanted to give a little backstory on what I saw in the news recently in response to Stan Lee's likeness. So Stan Lee, uh, so basically, what's going on here is that, now in 2018, Stan Lee had um, reported that, uh, let me just see here, I'm sorry, one second. So he passed away November 12th, uh, 2018, he was 95 years of age, and Stanley was seen as like the father, the modern, the modern day father of the comic book industry. Now, for those of us who love the comic book industry and care about it, there were so many titans that we've lost over the the last few years that created this the universes that we we love to inhabit on the big screen, as well as in print, as well as in video games and every other medium you could possibly think of from video games to um, to lunchboxes to t-shirts um, it's truly a billion multi-billion dollar industry that these people have created the fodder and the rich soil and the rich I almost want to say like wealth that is continually mined from the creation of these great men and women in this industry is truly remarkable but as it goes and as it as it's as it, as you know as as capitalism will have you um, definitely believe that there's um, you know there are no sacred cows and regardless of what of things that we revere everything has a price and so recently it was noted uh, let's see that Stanley's image would be used in further. Um, merchandising and film. So it goes as this. Uh, This was the Hollywood Reporter. 
uh, basically stated, Marvel has signed a 20-year deal with Stanley Universe, a venture between Genius Brands International and POW Entertainment to license the name and likeness of Lee for use in future films and television productions, as well as Disney theme parks, various experiences, and merchandising. So... Uh, basically, it's said in a unique deal, the beloved co-creator of Spider-Man, Avengers, and Hulk, who died in 2018, is returning to Marvel Studios. It really ensures that Stan, through digital technology and archival footage and other forms, will live in the most important venue, the Marvel movies and Disney theme parks, said Andy Hayward, um, Hayward, chairman and CEO of Genius Brands. It's a broad deal. So... Lee was the writer and editor-in-chief in of Marvel Comics in the 1960s, when he, along with artists such as Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, like I said, the Trinity right there, right, ushered in the creation of superheroes that are now the basis of the world's biggest blockbuster films. He also became the ever-smiling public face of the company, a stately position he held over the decades, despite changes to his actual job title and responsibilities, and even after he officially parted ways with the company. Lee founded. Lee found himself back in the pop culture spotlight in the 21st century due to his cameos, first in Marvel-based adaptations, such as Fox's X-Men and Sony's Spider-Man franchise, then with Marvel Studios' ever-growing list of hits. By the time he passed away, audiences who had never even picked up a comic book were connecting to him and looked forward to his warm comedy bits. However, this new deal does not necessarily pave the way for the return of Lee's cameo in movies, at least not in the way fans traditionally knew, knew them. Insiders caution, it is unclear if the public even has an appetite to see Lee digitally re re resurrected, as actors such as Carrie Fisher or Peter Cushing were in certain Star Wars movies. The deal, go, the deal does give Marvel permission to use Lee's name, voice, likeness, and signature in movies and television projects as well as to use images, existing footage, and existing audio recordings featuring him. The rights to use Lee's name, voice, likeness, and signature exclusively in theme parks, cruise lines, and in-park merchandise were also included in the deal. Audiences and parkgoers could see Lee turn up as figures and toys and on apparel and stationery. Uh, Genius Brand, a global kid media company, created the joint venture with POW, a, medium, a media company co-founded by Lee Among, along with Gil Champion and Arthur Liberman, in July 2020. Hayward, who called Lee a mentor and is the former chairman of DIC Entertainment, the home of Inspector Gadget, said he spearheaded the venture because in the aftermath of Lee's death and the revelations of conflict in Lee's final years, there needed to be a steward of his legacy. The company is now sifting through Lee's files and dealing with offers all through a protective lens. The audience reveres, reveres Stan, and if it's done with taste and class and, respect of, and respectful of who he was, use of his likeness will be welcome, said Hayward. He is a beloved personality, and long after you and I are gone, he will remain the essence of Marvel. So... This brings a lot of ethics and morality into question, which we're going to tackle on the second um, installment of this ep of this um, this episode, part two. But the part one we're going to be looking at is basically how creators and artists and illustrators and dare I say producers and directors and people who create a piece of IP, a piece of intellectual property that gets bought in by a major conglomerate such as a Disney or a Warner Brothers or a, you know, what else, or a Pixar, whoever. Then that piece of property, 
it could be a song, it could be a character, it could be um, a license, sort of anything, then goes on to make just scads and buttloads of money. Where do the rights of the creator kind of stop and where do the rights of the people who actually own it but didn't create it kind of kind of stop? So that's what we're going to be kind of looking at today. And in particular, Stanley definitely had his gripes about, um, about the creations that he created. Okay, let's just see here. There we go. So, here we go. So back in 2005, um, Stanley, it, it was, so this was, um, you know, quite a while ago, right? This was before the MCU really took off and Spider-Man had already, the first one with Tobey Maguire had made, uh, you know, movie history, by, I think one of the first comic book themed movies. And let's be clear, we had plenty back in the day. We had The Shadow, we had The Rocketeer, we had the Captain America one where he had the helmet and it was really bad. Um, we had Spawn, we had, oh, what else did we have? Um, Superman, one, two, and three. There was Batman, right? There was Batman, um, with Mike, Michael Keaton Batman. There was the TV shows such as Wonder Woman and The Hulk and Flash. Um, with cameos of Daredevil and Thor. So it wasn't as if these heroes were somewhat non... not active within uh, pop culture, from toys to video games in the early days. But what really kicked things off was at the start of the MCU with the uh, first Iron Man film, where, I mean, he's a bankable star now, but back in the day, Robert Downey Jr. was coming off of fighting his own demons with alcohol and prison and drug abuse, and most studios would not have touched him with a 10-foot pole. So most people say, and I mean, we even have, like, you know, that first Hulk movie, and then the second one with, um, with Edward Norton, and, you know, it, obviously they, they weren't big hits. Uh, you had The Punisher... If everybody remembers the Punisher movies, um, and then you had the Netflix series, you know, so that came after the success of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. But back in 2005, this was an article written um, by The Guardian. So this was 17 years old. My gosh, I'm getting old. Uh, so anyways, the creator of, of Spider-Man, Stan Lee, has won a landmark court case in the U.S. which entitles him to 10% of the profits from film and television spinoffs of his Marvel Comics superheroes. So Mr. Lee, whose character the Hulk and X-Men have also been adapted for the big screen in recent years, sued Marvel in 2000 for breach of contract over the 10% claim which he said was based on a 1998 agreement. A U.S. federal judge in Manhattan yesterday, so remember this is 17 years ago, ruled in his favor in a decision which it is estimated will earn the 82-year-old who has worked for Marvel since 1939 tens of millions of dollars. Mr. Lee, who remains a chairman humoratus of the comic book company, said he was pleased by the decision but disappointed that it had been necessary to bring the case to court in the first place. He said in a statement, since I am deeply fond of Marvel and the people there, I sincerely regret the, the situation had to come to this. The dispute centered on Marvel's claim that Mr. Lee was not due a share of profits from the first Spider-Man movie, which took more than $800 million worldwide and more than $100 million from Associated Toys. 
It had instead, it had instead been paying him a salary of one million a year for a 15-hour work week. Marvel's fortunes have improved dramatic, drastically in recent years thanks to the sale of merchandise following a series of successful film adaptations. However, in the mid-1990s, the company went bankrupt and was bought out by a toy firm. Marvel had argued that an account twisting which arose during this period meant Spider-Man was in effect excluded from the agreement it made with Lee. The case would yet return to court. The judge, Robert W. Sweet, was unable to resolve all the issues with regard to Spider-Man merchandise and suggested that they might go to trial. Marvel furthermore said it will appeal against yesterday's decision. So, we already saw the rumblings of this almost more than 20, almost 20 years ago when Stan Lee, who was arguably one of the biggest, if not the biggest face of this industry had to fight tooth and nail to get compensation for a character that he created. Now, uh, Marvel um, has gone through many iterations as far as its ownership and its name. It actually started off, let me just see here. So, let me just see. So the Marvel history started in 1939 by Martin Goodman as Timely Comics, and then by 1951 had generally become known as Atlas Comics. The Marvel era began in 1961, the year that the company launched the Fantastic Four and other superhero titles created by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Steve Ditko, and many others. So, we saw this happen over the course of time with the creators of Superman. So, the creators of Superman, let me just see here... Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Now it had been it had come to the attention of news uh, a news um, anchor I believe in Seattle of, of like many years ago that both of these gentlemen who had created Superman were living in squalor. I believe one had gone almost legally blind due to diabetes and another was living in a trailer park. And so after much haranguing and just bad PR on the side of Warner Brothers, who is the parent company of DC right now, they were able to settle with their estates. And now every time you see a Superman movie or any sort of media, you see the names created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. But it just goes to show you, and it kind of brings us back to the point, at what, I guess you could say, at what point does a creator of something, so let's say you're working at a plant or you're working at a company and you create a, a character. Let's say you work in a movie studio and you create this character, kind of like an alien type predator hybrid sort of thing, and you're paid for that work. You are compensated for the time you've put in, the hours, your intellectual brain power that you've, you've created this thing. And so now, you hand it off to your supervisors, they take it to the higher-ups, boom, it gets greenlit. They start off with a few, with a series on Netflix. Before you know it, people want to make it into a feature film. They're talking about directors, producers, da-da-da, all this kind of stuff. And lo and behold, you know, lo and behold, now you are, you know, things are moving and shaking, and you're seeing your creation get ready to, to hit the big screen, right? But here's the problem. Um... Hold on a second here. Let's 
just see here. You're very, and I'm, I'm gonna, you know, just be, try to be kind as I can here, but your, um, your creation is now in the hands of this larger corporation. So it's no longer yours. And the, the mindset now is, wait a minute, okay, like, like, I, I don't own this any, I don't own this. It's been handed over to the people who do. How much should I be paid beyond what I was already compensated for, for doing the work, right? Like they paid me my rate. I agreed with it. If I had maybe, let's say the foresight, you know, um, to say that this might become something big, this might become something huge, perhaps it would be within my best interest to iron out something a little bit different. You know, but if you're just entering into, um, you know, a commitment or a job and you're like, okay, well, I'm new to this industry. I don't have a lot of say or a lot of pull. You might be like, hey, I'll just take what I can get and run, you know, take the money and run kind of thing. But um, yeah, so so that's what happened. Now, recently, a gentleman by the name of Neil Adams passed away as well, and he was the creator of so many characters, I posted a picture of him on my Instagram a few, like a, a few weeks, actually just the end of April there. And it was, he had, he had a, a, a long-standing beef with, um, with some of the companies that he had worked for. So let me just, so Neil Adams was a comic book creator. He was a writer, penciler, inker, and editor and publisher. He passed away April 28th. He was born June 15th, 1941. He is known, let me just see. He's known for reinvigorating and bringing back the Green Lantern and Green Arrow series, kind of giving them sort of like a reissue back in the 80s, along with people such as Dennis O'Neill, who um, was also a American comic book writer and editor, principally for Marvel and DC, Throughout the 60s and 90s, he passed away uh, just in June 11th of 2020. And he was an individual that um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, he and Neil Adams, during their run at DC, co-created Batman villains Ra's al Ghul and Talia Ghul. So these were characters that were seen in the Batman, Christopher Nolan, uh, Christian Bale um, Batman back in 2005, I believe. And as he was stated as, as making a statement, I believe um, just a few, a few weeks ago, I saw this on YouTube where, you know, he said, basically, look, DC sent him a royalty check for creating Ra's al Ghul and Talia Ghul. Now, these are not by any means like A or even B list characters, but they're very important to the development and to the story arc of a lot of the Batman stories that we've known and loved also with the Teen Titans and various other um, iterations of Batman. And DC had sent him, you know, a royalty check. But Dennis O'Neill, who had, um, let me just see, I'm sorry, not Dennis O'Neill, um, Neil Adams, let's see. Let's see, he had, let's see, so he created Razal Ghul, he created Bork, um, he created he created the League of Assassins, Manbat, um, who else? Uh, Sauron. Oh wow, Talia. So there were a lot of characters that he created. Uh, Mockingbird for Marvel, Miss Mystique. Um, yeah. So I mean, th 
characters that definitely John Stewart for the DC Universe. So there's a lot of characters here that if he had, you know, like maybe a better deal or a better lawyer, he definitely would have maybe been able to get more uh, more money. You know, he, he drew the, um, the iconic poster for Muhammad Ali and Superman in 1978 uh, where they're fighting each other. So over the years, we've seen creators in this space have to fight tooth and nail and battle just to get recognition and even, just to get recognition as well as like just even paid for their work. But I think the real question is, if you work for a plant, if you work for a company, if you work for a corporation and you're not, and, and like, and let's, let's be honest, and that company pays you for that work. And then they go and take that IP and make billions of dollars off of it. Is that company under any obligation to then pay you more, right? Just out of maybe good faith or to showcase to other artists and illustrators, hey, when they, when you come over here, we're going to treat you right. You know, um, Rob Liefeld or Liefeld, if I, I was to say his name wrong, created Deadpool. And he's said on many occasions, he's never been given any type of compensation or even a cut of, you know, the merchandise or monies uh, that have been created from the gangbuster um, type of profits that have been made from Ryan Reynolds playing his character in the Marvel films. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. It, it is something that when, when we're honest, right, that creators, producers, writers need to have better representation, particularly when they're working for these large companies. And there has to be a change in which if you create something or if you build something or if you put together a patent or some type of, you know, thing that sells in insane amounts of money, like even the creator of Super Soaker. Um, I did a blog post on him and we got a podcast coming of him as well. He had to sue ha uh, Mattel. Uh, no, I'm sorry, the uh, parent company that owns Super Soaker for royalties that they hadn't paid him because, you know, as, as um, the abstract says from Tribe Called Quest, industry people are shady. <laughs> and, and they will try to, um, you know, take advantage of you and take everything they can from you. And so the, the, the auspice is it on the artist, the creator, to say no, I need to be paid more for my talent and my skill up front and have maybe a clause in there that says all, any and all um, proceeds henceforth if, if they're brought into digital form, video game form, movie form, whatever the case is, then there will be compensation, you know, rewarded or something like that. Like that might be something that people need to have in mind as they go forth working for these big companies like a Disney, like a Pixar, or do what? Uh, Todd McFarlane did and just be independent and the great thing now with the technology we have with the I with just the just the ability that I or somebody I know could save about five or ten thousand dollars and set up a quality production studio in their basement or spare bedroom and put out you know um, in, an independent comic book or an independent um, album or web series or documentary or dossier or whatever the case is and garner enough attention that you can work with these larger companies and still retain your rights look at joe rogan joe rogan had been toiling away for 12 years on his podcast he got it to the point where spotify didn't buy him out 
but they were able to partner along with him and they're they exclusively you know um, showcase his content uh, for the next X amount of years for and they paid him up to 120 uh, million that's insane and so the real issue now is do you really need quote unquote the majors anymore can you still stay independent but put out you know um, like work like you're on a major basically so definitely a lot to think about and definitely to look at um, as we delve into this into part two of this but just something to think about as we kind of dive into this um, this you know this age-old battle between creators and you know the creatives and the bean counters and the people the money men or women and the people who create the ideas that create all this money you know, you have to you have to wonder if some of the people that I listed off here had kept the rights of what they own and were able to say, hey, you know what? I've created this storyline. I've created this character. I've created this this thing. And now I'm, you know, getting ripped off for it. You would you would I, I think it's it's a it's a moment to pause and a moment for all of us, particularly in the realm that we're living in when it comes to. Um, anything to do with uh, with commerce that we cover ourselves, and this this goes for the everyday person. If you create a software that works for a company and they go on to sell that, and you were just paid pennies on the dollar, or, or God forbid, you're paid nothing and you're just ripped off. I mean, these things happen all the time. So it's not just a conversation in the arts, but it's also a conversation for people in in the regular regular everyday working arena. You know, if you're somebody who has, I mean, not been um, been compensated for, let's say, implementing something that saved your plant hundreds, you know, if not thousands of dollars, right? Well, then, you know, how do you, like, how, how do you make sure that you're covered? You know, is it with a union? Is it with arbitration? Do you go to a lawyer? And then you ask yourself, is it even worth it? You know, if you're going to go up against the big boys who have all the lawyers, all the money, you know? So these, these are definitely questions that we definitely want to uh, kind of ask ourselves and kind of look at. But um, yeah, just, you know, I just wanted to thank you for listening. Uh, this was something that I found really interesting and it felt like it was almost... Hmm. It almost felt like if somebody does something good for you and you go on and take that good deed and turn it into something amazing and incredible, you, you kind of, you should look out for the person that did that for you. You know, like if it's just, it's just being honest and being, having common decency and, and just that ability to say, Hey, you know what? We'll, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about not, um, basically, um, stopping the, the the ox from from eating you know don't muzzle the ox and if if you have a team that's putting out amazing work for you you're going to be a lot better the karma is going to treat you a lot better but also just further working in the industry of whatever industry you're in if you're not screwing over people but you're being good to them above and beyond you can at least say look i never ripped anybody off nobody could say i withheld money from them you compensate them well above and beyond what other people would do. You, you'll never have a problem. And it's, it's kind of dirty and kind of disgusting that Marvel 
did that to somebody who had done so much for the company, not just as a face of the company, but even when they were down and out, you know, and they had no, I mean, they were, they were sold off at one point, you know? So, but anyways, um, thank you for listening. Like I said, uh, we've got, we got a few more, uh, we probably got a one, maybe another part to this as we kind of dive into this a little bit, but until next time, thank you for listening and be good to one another out there. Take care.